Welcome to the sermon podcast of Northridge Presbyterian Church in Dallas, Texas. I'm Betsy Sweetenberg, the pastor here, and I hope that in this podcast, you see what we seek to do week after week, approaching the stories of our faith with a holy curiosity, not shutting the book because the stories are hard or there are truths we'd rather ignore. Instead, approaching scripture, trusting that God will meet us there, full of grace and truth, teaching us something new about how we are to live in this world God so loves. So this is our fourth Sunday in Lent and the third of the Sundays that we are exploring rather long narratives in the book of John. Scholars suggest that we envision the narrative in John 9 as a play. It is a dramatic story about different groups of people with having different interactions. In fact, if this were a drama, there would be seven different scenes. So let's see how this unfolds and where God shows up in these very human interactions. I invite you to listen first for God's word to you today in the first scene, John 9, verses 1 through 7. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. Now, let us listen for God's word in scenes 2 through 7 as the drama continues to unfold in John chapter 9, verses 8 through 41. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, it is he. Others were saying, no, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, then how were your eyes opened? The man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. Where is he? I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes. Then I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. 
But others said, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that now he sees nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind, and they said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. Here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to the one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born entirely in sins, and are you trying to teach us? And they drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And who is he, sir? Tell me, so that I may believe in him. You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say, We see, your sin remains. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My daughter is four years old, and in the last eight months or so, she's become more aware of things that are for, quote, boys, 
and things that are for girls. Personally, I struggle with this because I want her to live in a world where it's more fluid and anything can be for anyone. But that's just not the reality of the world that we live in right now. But I admit, I was pleasantly surprised when she said to me one day, Mom, I know that boys can be pastors too because Uncle Brian is one. <laughs> boys can be pastors too. My daughter is just doing what she does each and every day, making observations about the world she lives in, about the people and situations around her. But I love that her framework in this world begins with women as pastors. That is not something my own mother would have known as a four-year-old. So we are learning and growing into the truths about God and humanity, but it is often a much slower process than we would like. There is so much more we have to learn. But our learning starts with what we experience. We learn by doing and engaging. And until we've had an opportunity to experience something, we may hold on to false narratives or false beliefs or assumptions. Today's dramatic narrative in John's Gospel reminds us that the human tendency towards certainty and control is very real. We don't like it when our foundation shifts and there are cracks because that means we have real work to do to repair and rebuild and rebuild and life isn't just smooth and easy the gospel of john seeks to help us understand jesus's identity this is the gospel where we find the i am statements of jesus if you were with us last week you may recall that jesus said to the woman at the well i am connecting himself with the great I am revealed to Moses in the burning bush. And today we hear Jesus say, I am the light of the world. And I think sometimes we want it to be just that simple, just that poetic, that illuminating. But it's so much more complex. The first seven verses of this narrative in John 9 are seemingly a simple story of healing a man who was born blind that Jesus saw as he walked along. Jesus points out that he's on a mission from God and that he is the light of the world. But the disciples' question of who sinned reveals something about the misconceptions and assumptions of the day and a whole bunch of rigmarole follows. But what does it reveal to us about God and humanity and the relationship between God and humanity? First, in the words of the Reverend Bruce Reyes Chow, let us name the ableist notion that blindness is an inherent deficiency. Metaphors using blindness are built on the idea that this physical state of being is somehow less than 
and regardless of the cause, is in all cases a problem, malady, and affliction that must be solved, healed, and fixed. The culture of Jesus' time did not think any differently. Thus, the many examples of physical limitation being the stand-in for sin and brokenness. These are mistaken assumptions that cause problems from the outset. Jesus is very clear with his disciples that the blindness was not a result of sin, saying neither the man born blind nor his parents sinned. Jesus sees a man who happened to be blind from birth. Jesus sees him and sees an opportunity to reveal God's works. This man who had been an outcast and by nature a beggar could be reconciled to his community if Jesus healed his blindness. So what might healing for this man really mean? At first glance, there seems to be a real opportunity for transformation here. But the man who is healed doesn't live in isolation. So we have to deal with the neighbors and the Pharisees and the other Jewish leaders, all of whom tried to maintain their own assumptions and certainty. The next 34 verses following the healing are a series of conversations about the man and how he was healed. At the core, though, is an overarching question. Who is Jesus really? How is Jesus able to heal? The neighbors and the religious leaders are all asking the man healed how his eyes were opened. They can't believe the truth, and so they even try calling on this grown man's parents. When asked how his eyes were open and how his sight was restored, the man healed answered three times. And when asked a fourth time, he says, I've told you already, and you wouldn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Why all the hassle? It turns out this is about much more than the man healed. The Jewish leaders were divided on who Jesus was. And they had clear and certain ideas of who God was and is and how God worked in the world. Jesus didn't fit their mold. They had a box, and God fit neatly inside their box. And though it was way too small for God, they couldn't see that. They had eyes to see, but they were blind to God's works and God's presence and God's powers. The religious leaders seemed convinced that Jesus could not be from God or with God or God. I can't help but wonder if they were unable to believe that God was still at work in the world. Because after asking the man healed the same question over and over and not being satisfied with any of his answers, they drove him out of the community. They cast him out 
again. And their box for God stayed intact. Jesus heard the news that the man healed had been driven out and found him. Jesus revealed himself to the man, and the man worshipped Jesus. Again, Jesus saw this man and sought to reconcile him to community. Jesus was always focused on bringing people into the fold of God. And newsflash, the story is going to continue in chapter 10, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. But the religious leaders of the day couldn't see what was possible with God. Indeed, they were blind to God's promises and made false assumptions about God and God's people. So I wonder if we today are willing to lay aside our assumptions about God. Are we willing to ask questions about God and of God? Or are we blind to what God is actively doing in the world today? As we seek to follow Jesus and be part of God's beloved community here on earth, I wonder if there are better questions we can ask. What if, in the words of Bruce Reyes Chow, the disciples had asked upon seeing the man born blind, how can we heal and help instead of asking, whose fault is this? Could God be bigger than this box I use to carry him around? In his book, If God is Love, Don't Be a Jerk, John Pavlovitz writes, A God our brains and buildings can fully hold just isn't big enough to be truly God. The moment we imagine a rigid box adequately capable of containing the who, what, how, and why of everything that is or ever was or ever might be is the moment we've shrunken all the answers to the elemental questions down into something that is no longer God-sized. If we can fully fathom it, it ceases to be worthy of our reverence. My friends, God is much bigger than even we have imagined. And the work that God can do in this world is bigger and better than we have imagined as well. Not only do we have to be careful about not making grand assumptions about God, but the same is true for our neighbors. We have to be careful not to reduce people to what we might see on their social media profile or judge them only by the bumper stickers on the back of their car, which I admit is hard for me. We are often quick to judge people by what we see with our eyes, making us blind to the spirit of God within them. We make so many assumptions about people, even if we don't mean to do it, based on what we see, that we may fail to know their heart and mind. 
And that effectively makes us blind to God's presence in the world. Today, the good news is we have women pastors, as well as pastors who don't identify as exactly male or exactly female, because in part, we started asking better questions. Instead of saying, can X be a pastor? We asked, who is God calling to be a pastor? Who is God calling to be a prophet to preach the good news? What is the Spirit calling the church to do? There are better questions we can ask. This Lent, we've been on a journey of seeking. If you've been in worship the last few weeks, you may have heard the invitations to engage in spiritual practices, including the daily examine, considering the moments in your day for which you are most and least grateful, most and least connected to God. We've been encouraged to lean into the Holy Spirit and to slow down and notice the ways that God is at work in the world. And today we will add asking questions as a spiritual practice. God is far bigger than we can imagine, and God can handle every one of our questions. But if you start this practice of asking questions, be ready for what God may reveal to you. You may have heard this well-known Franciscan blessing that begins like this. May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you may live deep within your heart. And I will add to that, May God bless you with the ability to ask better questions and with the restraint to listen so that you may see beyond yourself and learn. May the Spirit call you forth and lean into you as you seek to lean into her wisdom. May you dare to be open to the living presence of God in your life. Be ready for God's truth to be revealed to you in new and refreshing ways. May the box you have imagined around God fall away. May you be blessed by the good news of the gospel. God sees you. God continues to find you. And God wants to reconcile you to God and community. May you allow God to move so that you may be inspired by the works of God. And if you dare to lean in, beware that this blessing comes with power and responsibility. May you trust enough so that you can align your power and privilege in this world with that of God's mission for a beloved community. May God transform you from blindness to sight so that you might be healed from the inside out and notice Christ is right there 
at your side. Amen. Go out into God's world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Return to no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. Honor all persons. Love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And as you go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the power of the Spirit bless you and keep you this day and always, always. Amen.